Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major, Lindsay, and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glatzer. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major, Lindsay, and Africa. In this podcast, I'll speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives, and how they ultimately bounced back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Mike Soso. Mike is currently the Senior Vice President of Legal for Gas and Low Carbon Energy Production and Operation and Regions, Cities, and Solutions at BP. He leads a global team of over 100 lawyers responsible for executing BP's legal strategy across several of the company's core businesses, including all of its global oil and gas operations, as well as leading the legal strategy for BP's transition to net zero. Mike joined the Houston office of BP in June 2011 from Skadden Arps Slate Meter and Flob, where he practiced in the firm's antitrust and competition law group. Prior to his current role, Mike was the Associate General Counsel for Downstream, where he led a global legal team accountable for supporting BP's customer-facing businesses. He also previously was the Vice President for Ethics and Compliance for BP, where he led the team responsible for embedding ethics and compliance across BP's businesses and regions. In 2013, Mike was a finalist for Global Competition Review's Corporate Counsel of the Year Award, and in 2014 was honored by being selected for Legal 500's inaugural list of top 100 corporate counsel in the United States. The Financial Times, Yahoo Finance, and Involve have named him one of the top 100 LGBT executives in the world. He is a frequent speaker on legal, ethics, and compliance and diversity and inclusion topics. Michael received a BS in economics and a BA in political science from Arizona State University and his law degree with honors from Georgetown University Law Center. Mike and his husband currently reside in London. Mike, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. So I'll get right into it, um, given our time. You recently shared with me, Mike, that you lost your brother, James, last year. Um, Would you share for our listening audience and tell us what happened? Sure. Uh, So my brother had been struggling with addiction and mental illness for a number of years. Uh, And unfortunately, um, those diseases caught up with him and he passed away. Uh, at the age of 35 last year. Um, And it was rather sudden and unexpected. Uh, And it was something that me and my family had been battling with very privately, uh, as I said, for well over a decade, Um, in part because I think with those two things, uh, there's a lot of shame attached to them traditionally. And those that have family or, or personal um, battles with either addiction or mental illness, oftentimes don't want to share that. And I didn't. Uh, and it, it was a painful and uh, a painful exercise to go through the 10 plus years of dealing with it when he was battling with it. And it was certainly a painful uh, realization when it all came to head and um, he lost his battle with those and passed away rather suddenly. And so that's, it's something that um, 
yeah, I'm, uh, it, it was deeply impactful. And since then, I've decided to speak openly about it and make some adjustments to my own life and, and certainly sharing more with my team and uh, others I work with and publicly on how I think we can better manage these sort of issues going forward to help others not struggle with it privately. Yeah. Well, I am I'm deeply sorry for your loss. Um, you know, I can't imagine, um, especially, you know, this is not the natural order of things, right? Um, you know, uh, and and so I, I'm, I'm very sorry, again, um, to hear about that. What would you want our listening audience to know about your brother, Mike? Uh, I think he, what I like people to remember him by is he was uh, incredibly bright. He was uh, artistic. Um, he was uh, a musician. He could pick up a saxophone and listen to a song and play it without even reading music. Um, he was just a gifted, um, talented, and very thoughtful person. And um, yeah, he was he he was loved. He had a small group of friends. He was incredibly. Uh, smart, much smarter than me and, and far more courageous than me in many ways. He came out before I did. And uh, so as an older brother, um, you know, I looked up to him in many ways because he was able to have the courage to come out to our parents and publicly long before I did. Uh, and so, you know, I think those sort of elements, him being courageous and, and him being artistic, and um, he certainly left his, his mark on this world. Yeah, he sounds he sounds amazing. He sounds amazing, and it's lovely that you um, described him that way. You know, the thing that you mentioned earlier um, in your comments, you know, strikes me because there is this tension, seemingly, between work and our personal lives, and it's become very blurred. I think, especially post COVID, um, with people working from home. I guess, you know, sort of the old school view of this is we keep these things separate, right? There's a, there's a, there's a line we draw in the sand, right? And I think that, yeah. for lack of a better description, old school, school view um, of it um, not only has changed in many ways, you know, generationally because of the way people think about work, COVID has exacerbated some of this, um, the internet and how we do our work has kind of also Belded and mushed um, personal with with professional, and I know um, younger people have very strong opinions about you know work is work, and I go to work and I do my job, and then I leave, um, which is interesting. Um, and then I know other folks, regardless of generation, who are like you know to be my best self at work, I need to truly be who I am in whatever form or function that. That, that comes, whether that means being out at work or talking about my disability or talking about my loved one who has a disability, what have you. Um, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, right? We all have our sort of opinions about what that looks like. And I think it's an individual uh, decision to be you know, how much you share at work, how much you share with your colleagues, whether you befriend people at work or it's just work only. Um, but I'm interested, you know, in light of your ethics background, in light of, you know, your life experience, what your 
thoughts are on that in terms of, you know, should we be sharing at work? What should that look like? Um, should work be a safe sp space to share who you are or, you know, should it be work and work only? I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, well, thank you, Rebecca. And I, I completely agree with you that it is an individual um, decision that needs to be made and, and it will be a different decision uh, depending on each individual's circumstance. But what shouldn't be an individual decision is the environment in the workplace should welcome those that do want and need to be more open and share their experiences. And I'll tell you as, as a lawyer, our profession has um, not always been the best in this, right? So we we come from a profession where we are expected to be perfect. We are expected to put our clients above all else. Uh, we celebrate all-nighters. We brag about how many hours we've built in a year. Uh, and it almost highlights that work comes above all else. And we all know that at the end of the day, um, we are all human, yet the profession dehumanizes us in many ways by just defining us based on our work. And for me, it's about being able to admit that we are human. Um, we all have faults. We all make mistakes. That's okay. We are all battling different sort of situations personally or uh, even professionally, and that's okay. And I think if there are times in which we need to reach out and ask for help, whether they are professionally uh, in the workplace or with colleagues or privately with friends and family, we should be able to do so. And I don't think our profession has always been that open to allow that conversation to take place. We are getting better. I'm grateful for seeing that. Um, but I can tell you, I, you know, I, with my own brother, and I've been vice president of ethics at BP, and and yet I didn't even feel comfortable at that time sharing the own private battle that I was facing with my family and my brother. Yet I was uh, up all night at times. Um, yet coming into work and trying to perform, and we all know if you pull an all nighter privately. Um, you're not going to be performing your best. So instead, when you get into those situations where you do need help, it's better if you can lean on close colleagues and you can be open and honest with your workplace and say, hey, listen, I've got something going on in my private life. Uh, I need to focus on that for a moment. Um, and I need a bit of help to deal with the work stuff. That actually makes us perform better because you're able to trust your, your colleagues, you're able to trust your workplace, and you're able to focus on what truly is the priority in your life in that moment and devote as much time as possible to that to make it right. And then you can turn right back and deliver better in the workplace. And that's what I hope we, we get that balance right. I think our profession still has um, a ways to go on this journey though. Because as I said, we still celebrate these all-nighters. We celebrate the fact that, um, you know, the more hours you build, the better lawyer you are, which isn't the case. Um, so we, we define ourselves by these metrics rather than identify and, and acknowledge that we're all human. And there's other things that should be defining us. Agreed. And I am happy myself to see uh, that is changing, however, however slowly. I think COVID probably 
made things go a little faster <laughs> than, than maybe the profession itself would have liked. Um, I agree with that. That's a good thing. That's all the aggravation, right? Right. Um, you know, it's kicking and screaming. Uh, law firms and legal departments had to figure out a different way to do things because uh, COVID wasn't having it. Um, we couldn't be in the same spaces. You know, you shared with me in a prior conversation that there was sort of like the way you handled personal versus professional prior to your, to your brother's passing and then yeah. you know something this happened and and you realized like I, I need to do things differently um yeah. and I was curious, you know can you talk a little bit about you know mentally how you got there the sort of you know get to having the confidence to do make some significant changes and then kind of what that looked like for you yeah uh so I will say I I guess um I'll acknowledge that I'm in a bit of a privileged position and that I am fairly senior in my organization now and and but in the course of my career I faced different struggles and everything else and and I've I came to the last, this last year when my brother passed away it was a breaking point for me where I just said you know what am I doing why am I doing this um why am I uh spending so much time at work am I making the difference I want to make is there something I should be doing differently um do I have the balance right between my work, my family, my friends, and myself? Um, I was devoting a lot of time to work, and the company was at a pivotal moment uh, within the organization. And I was working harder than I've worked since I've been at a law firm when I was a, ju a junior associate. And it just got to a point where um, yeah, it was becoming a lot. And then my brother passed away and it was a lot of self-reflection. And what I ended up doing is, is going to my boss and saying, listen, um, I'm going to take some time back for myself and uh, I'm going to take at least a week, weekend a month and get away. I'm going to um, create greater separation between work and the personal life, because I think COVID blurred it immensely. Uh, I was waking up, answering emails, um, working around the clock. And the last thing I would do before I went to bed was respond to emails. And it was really, I got into this unhealthy cycle. So what I started to do is I asked my boss, first of all, could I have one weekend every month um, where unless it was an emergency, I wouldn't. Uh, respond to emails. I wouldn't. I would truly check out, and I would go uh, into nature, which was my therapy. And I would grab a group of friends and go on hikes um, and just be with people um, that I could chat with about other things other than work, and that brought me joy and brought me happiness again, and created uh, a bit more of life other than work. And I did that, and that started creating some positive memories. And the other thing I did for a lot of within uh, how I worked is I started doing some small things. Um, I used to, when I do come into the office, I'd at the end of the day grab my computer, go back home, and I'd carry it home, log on, do some emails. Uh, and what I started to do is if I was coming into the office the next day, I'd leave my office locked in my desk or leave my laptop locked in my office uh, desk um, and not take it home. 
doesn't mean I wasn't available. If an emergency came up, I had my phone, I had an iPad, but it's just more difficult to respond to emails and it made it a little more challenging and it showed that I was separating work and personal life. So I tried to regain some personal space that I felt was being encroached. And that's something I think we all need to do a better job of post-pandemic. I think the pandemic blurred the lines between work and our personal lives to the point where I don't know that you really know anymore whether you're on the call or not and whether you're at work or not. And so what I try to do is create a greater definition to allow me to understand and, and recapture some of the joys that come with our personal lives as well. Yeah. Definitely. No, those are, that's great advice. And, you know, I was curious on a, you know, kind of systemic company wide level, you know, given your position um, in BP, you know, are, have there been thoughts or efforts to try to, you know, expand some of the work you're doing on an individual basis, sort of company wide? Have there been things the company has done post COVID to kind of encourage, um, you know, a greater separation of, of work and life, you know, company-wide or, you know, are there things that law firms and companies can do to kind of encourage this behavior post-pandemic, post, post we're not really post-pandemic, but we're getting there, right, um, you know, to help um, folks that maybe aren't, you know, as high up in the organization um, effectuate having a, a real life outside of, outside of work? Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know, BP is very strong on trying to support uh, the well-being of employees, and and they have uh, multiple partnerships with mental health organizations, and um, and they've uh, partnered with some of them to allow access for employees to get various um, mindfulness apps, for example. But the other thing. I would say I've started sharing with my team uh, and across the legal function uh, what I do. And I told them to do the same thing. I've tried to empower them to leave the laptop in the office if they're coming into the office the next day, to log off and don't take calls in the evenings. Um, and if somebody schedules a call late in the evening, to simply decline it or ask, is it really urgent? Nine times out of 10, it's not urgent. We're a global organization, so people in uh, trying to figure out where the best time zone is to, to schedule a call is challenging, and on occasion we need to do it. Um, but somebody shouldn't be inconvenienced and have their personal life encroached on too often by the company. Uh, and I think we are very respectful and mindful of that, uh, and we're trying to get better. The pandemic, uh, shifted this all for us and it challenged us. I mean, even right now we have a hybrid working arrangement where uh, we're in the office three days a week and at home working two days a week. That has its benefits, but it also has its downsides in that, again, it's blurring the line between personal and work activities. And what we need to make sure is we aren't abusing that as an organization or certainly as a leader within that organization that I'm not asking too much of folks when they should be focused on their family, friends, and their personal life. Definitely. No, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially as a leader in the organization. 
demonstrating what it should look like. Um, curious if you've given any thoughts. I mean, you're on the in-house corporate side of things, um, but you previously were at um, a law firm, um, a rather yeah. large, and I was curious if you've given any thoughts to, you know, how the law firm side of this plays out, because obviously it's a little, it's certainly more difficult for junior associates to kind of flex their muscles. Um, although some people are doing it and I'm, I'm impressed with the courage um, that- Yeah, uh, agreed. <laughs> yeah, that recent uh, law grads are showing um, in the marketplace and saying, look, I'm just, I'm not gonna do that. I wanna spend time with my kids or I wanna spend time with my spouse or my dog or my friends or whatever. Um, Curious, I mean, have you given any thought to like ways in which law firms can effectuate a better a better work life balance? Because obviously, you know, they're sort of beholden to their clients and what their clients needs are and that sort of thing. But I was I was curious about that. Yeah. And and I've had a lot of conversations with partners at firms about this and, and certainly those firms that we engage. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was delivering the message that the expectations I have on mental well-being and work-life balance weren't just for my team, but that I wasn't taking advantage and, and simply supporting my team and then putting undue pressure on associates at the firms that we were engaging. So I made it very clear what my expectations were uh, and have had a lot of conversations with some of these law firms. And we've talked about how they can improve within the law firm uh, space. And, and one of the things I've personally done is I've said, if we ask for a timeline and you think it's too uh, ambitious, simply ask if we can adjust the timeline. If a timeline is going to force somebody to work absurd hours, ask for an adjustment or ask if it's absolutely necessary. A lot of times clients simply uh, say, hey, can I get an answer? By the end of this week and there's really no reason we need an answer by the end of the week we don't know how much work is going on behind the scenes until we ultimately get the bill or the invoice um, so if it is going to take a lot of effort it is if it is going to put a lot of pressure on an associate or partners at the firm simply pushing back and say hey listen how firm is that deadline um, we might be able to get you something that is a bit more baked, a bit more confident in the in the response. If you give us an extra week, nine times out of ten, I'd say absolutely, that's fine. Um, so that's number one: is being uh, open to a conversation around timelines on the work that we are asking uh, firms to engage in. Number two is being very clear about the number of lawyers that we need and saying that small teams working around the clock are not what we're asking for. Be honest with you, associates that are working incredibly long hours are probably not delivering the best value to me or, or BP. Uh, so I would rather staff it appropriately to share that workload more uh, clearly across a larger team and I pay for it to get better results. Um, so I think it's having those open conversations. And then I have chatted with firms about what they can do um, because I think it is, I think firms are now starting to realize, especially this past year, that the old model uh, is not going to keep people uh, and keep good lawyers there. Um, I'm glad to see that people aren't just chasing money anymore. They're chasing balance. 
And that's the way it should be. But firms that don't make that adjustment and don't invest in change that will allow lawyers to have a career where they not only achieve success as a lawyer, but also achieve success personally, whether either engaging in family or travel or growth outside of the office, uh, are quickly going to find themselves constantly recruiting new lawyers because lawyers will leave. And we've seen that in the past year post-pandemic when people's priorities have shifted. So I think some of the things lawyers, uh, law firms can do uh, is allow people to work from home on occasion, uh, being flexible with hours. Do you really need um, to be in the office nine to five? Maybe somebody else, maybe there's childcare drop-off or pickup, and it would be better for uh, a lawyer to start working at you know, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then take a two-hour break and then come uh, go back to work. Scheduling those flexible work arrangements, I've seen firms start to do it and be open to it. And I think lawyers are far happier now. And you can see people staying when they do make those adjustments. That's right. That's right. No, I, I totally agree with you. I've I had some conversations in 2021 where people were telling me the numbers, you know, the hours that they were billing for the year. And it was just like beyond when you get into 26, 27, somebody told me they were billing like 3000 hours. And I'm like, I don't know that that is, if that's true and you start doing the math on that, like you're basically never going home, like you're going home to take a shower and change your clothes and come back you know um it's, yeah. and my question would be how many of those three thousand hours are really good hours right. so i'd rather have somebody bill 1800 or 2000 hours strong hours than 3000 <laughs> crap right, hours right. if mean, i'm I honest like, with you <laughs> i mean we, we had multiple people telling us this and it's like you re we are not automatons we can't work 24 hours you know 24 7 365 uh we need sleep we are human we need social interaction we need to eat etc um those are needs not wants um and i was just thinking to myself like i feel like we have potentially reached the limit of what associates can do and should be asked to do and this is not sustainable like it's you you can do it for a period of time you will possibly feel the effects of it but long term this is this cannot go on people will just burn out you know they'll start having health issues like it's it's not agreed it's not work um and so we need to find out we need to figure out how to do it a better way and like you said perhaps spreading the work across more associates so everyone has a lighter load having flexible work arrangements you know i'm seeing more and more um firms doing like do you want to work fewer hours great we'll have a reduction salary and you can work you know 1750 or 1850 and and or whatever it, it is um you know i've seen in some instances 1550 and 1650 um for a lower salary so that you can have and we again can have maybe a couple of people in our department doing that so that it, the work is spread across other people and you know you can fashion a life that works for you and your family in your personal circumstances so now that that makes um a lot of sense you know one of the things um that we talk about in this podcast mike is resilience um, and what that means. And there's a little bit of debate about what that means and whether resilience is a good thing or not. But um, in preparation for starting this podcast, I, I did some reading. I'm a little bit of a nerd that way. Some academic reading of, you know, where does resilience come from? Is it innate? Is it learned? This kind of thing. And um, a lot of the um, academics have, have done work basically saying that 
you know, it's something that's learned. You can have a stronger sort of innate uh, resilience, but it can be learned. Um, and that a lot of times folks that are very resilient um, see some form of resilience in their childhood or youth. They've seen examples of parents or grandparents or friends or neighbors being resilient and and that and or you know unfortunately they were bullied or picked on as children and you know this is something they learned from and they grew and as they got older they learned to take those skills and apply them their whole lives i was curious um you know you're clearly a resilient person given what you've been through in the last few years and getting to the sort of level that you're at and i was curious um where you think that comes from for you um yeah, it's a great question. I think um, a lot of it is I've been lucky to have people in my life who have been willing to listen uh, and help me through challenging times. Um, and so I don't claim to be resilient on my own, I suppose. I would argue that resilience can and maybe should be a team effort uh, and it can be a family effort and it can be a friend group or a social group or it can be indeed even a, a workplace success. Um, and what I'd like to do is here at BP help create an environment that allows all of us to have that resilience by um, allowing people the freedom to speak up and ask for help when they need it um, to if they want to share what's going on in their personal life and even provide resources that maybe think people think workplaces shouldn't offer whether it's you know if they've got an ailing parent and trying to find uh, a care worker for them uh, that's taking time out of somebody's day and and certainly occupying a lot of stress and and uh, space in their mind and if i can find a way to help identify a series of care workers by sourcing that it's a way that we can help make our own that employee and certainly the broader community more resilient. And so I don't I think I've just been lucky to work with and, and have people who are thoughtful, caring and have listened to me and, and helped me through some challenging situations. And certainly that's the case with my brother. Uh, I leaned on my husband. I leaned on some very good friends. Um, and I did lean on my boss and BP to make some accommodations, all of which uh, those folks responded as I would hope they would. And that's what's made me resilient. So I guess for me, it's um, we all face these challenges. And if you try to bottle it in, especially if, you know, the lawyer, the legal profession, we, we have this... Um, shield we place over ourselves that we try to give the the perception of perfection and we can make we can do no wrong and we sell that we sell it to our clients we sell it to employers associates want to be uh perfect um, you don't want to make a grammar mistake in a memo much less have a big uh, issue going on in your personal life and it's just not reality so if we can change the view in the profession that we need perfection and actually allow for people to be human and 
I think we'll have a greater conversation where resilience will increase because partners will be able to support associates that are dealing with something outside the office. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I wanna see more of is a conversation that will allow us to help build a community that will ultimately allow everybody to be more resilient rather than those that are lucky enough like me who did have family, friends, uh, a group that um, were there for me when I needed them most. And there are some that may not have that. And so the workplace needs to become that place for those folks. Definitely. I completely agree with you. Amen to that. Um, final question for you. Um, you know, the last few years have been extremely difficult for everyone um, for all kinds of reasons. COVID, personal events in their lives, world events such as the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. What advice would you give newly minted, you know, very junior attorneys who may not have experienced this kind of tumult um, in their professional and personal lives before? If this is the first time they're dealing with, you know, a major world or life event that's impacting them, um, what advice would you give? I would say um, it's okay not to know all the answers. Uh, professionally or what's going on in the world, actually embrace that uncertainty and the uncomfortableness. Um, don't uh, be stressed by it. Instead, welcome it because it's how we grow. But you have to be willing to engage in conversation to do that. And you have to be open to listening. I think um, a lot is gonna be thrown at us uh, within the office and outside the office. And if, you listen, uh, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to grow as a person and understand more, then I feel as though uh, we will be far better off than if we feel stressed and feel done to, uh, which is oftentimes I think what we're felt like. We have to get something done. Client has told us to do something. This is being done to me. You just sit back back and say, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to listen. There's change happening. That's not a bad thing. Uh, let's see where this goes. Uh, and chat through with people, whether at the office or those you trust outside the office, um, when you are really stressed. Don't hide it. Don't try to be perfect. Um, those are the main messages. And the other thing that the other final message I would say is don't ever define yourself by your job, your title, where you work, how many hours you build, or how much money you make. That's not what should be defining us. Ask yourself, are you happy? Are you challenged in the office at your job? Um, are you creating value? Do you make a difference? If you can answer those questions positively, then you're a success. I don't care what level in the organization you're at. There are people I look up to that are uh, you know, three or four years out of school right now. And I consider them you know, somebody that I'm trying to become. So you know, for me, it's try to uh, listen and learn um, and don't be too, it sounds, sounds cliche, but just don't let it stress you, welcome the uncertainty and uncomfortableness that's, that is out there. That's great advice. Well, Mike, thank you so much for giving me your time and being so open and honest.
with me and our and our audience today. I know they will get a lot out of this conversation. I certainly did, and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Rebecca. I've enjoyed chatting with you, and um, I look forward to listening to some of the other podcasts as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.